you know, my partner was very confident, Kenny, um, that, you know, when I reached out to him and I told him, he said, you know, we could do this in Ghana. Mm. And I always loved this location that we had in Ghana. It was like a crop polo club. And whenever you land in Accra in the airport, you could just see the fields. Oh, wow. And I thought it just kind of felt like a piece of Accra that was not in Accra. Mm. And I always wanted to do something there. And I told him this way I wanted to have it. He had it booked in maybe a day. I think I spoke really? to him in the morning. By mid-afternoon, the venue was booked. And we had like, I think, about seven and a half months to plan what would be to come the first Afrochella. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode here Off the Cuff, where conversations lead to inspiration. I'm your host, Christian Palmer, and today I'm joined by founder and CEO of Afrochella Festival. It's a festival designed to elevate, celebrate, and highlight the essence of African talent across the continent. It is the most anticipated and culturally aligned festival, bringing the diaspora together through music, art, fashion, food, and so much more. They've been featured on numerous publications such as CNN, BBC, Vogue, GQ, Essence, you name it, they're all over. It's an experience you don't want to miss. So without further ado, here's Off the Cuff with Abdul Kareem Abdullah. Abdul, welcome to the show, man. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. I'm good. Absolutely, man. I know we're literally in the midst of execution, right? So by the time this episode comes out... Uh, the the video will probably like Afrochella will probably already you know be done in its conclusion, uh, but I want to take a quick pulse check, man. Like, how are you doing? How are you feeling? Um, you know, it's high energy. You know, driving the teams. To, you know, to kind of be able to get everything out. You know, working with partners to kind of finalize what their activations look like, planning out what the field looks like, planning out security, planning out logistics. It's just a lot to think about in yeah. the last couple of thirty days, and just kind of executing on everything we've been building out throughout the year that's beautiful man and, you know before we even dive in deeper into the the essence of what you do and all the amazing things that you're doing on the ground uh, i want to take a step back and just start from the foundational point i want to speak a little bit more about you kind of those upbringings because i feel like even learning a little bit more about your story you had a very unique experience yeah. you know that kind of shaped who you are today so let's tap into that let's give the viewers a little bit more about how your upbringing has molded you into the person you are today yeah i mean Mine was unique, right? Just like most first-generation immigrant mm -hmm. families, I was born here in the U.S. to parents who are immigrants, and they want to kind of give me a piece of their culture, but I'm also growing up in a community that has a completely different culture. So it's just kind of like you're living in this duality um, between the cultures that you're a part of. And, uh, you know, for a long time, you know, I identified as just being... A, a black person. I didn't know mm -hmm. the difference between, I didn't really understand the difference until I lived in Africa. Sorry, is that my phone? Yeah, I think that might be you. Oh, my bad. Yo. <laughs> put this on mute. My apologies. You know, um, you know, it took me a long time to really recognize that I'm living between two cultures. I didn't understand mm -hmm. what my parents was talking about most of the time, that I'm American. And also when I was outside, you know, all the kids thought I was an African kid. So it was just kind of like you living in the middle and you're trying to belong to both at the same time. I mean, growing I was born here, my pop sent us back to Africa to go to school, to get some of the culture, 
He was in Ghana for about seven and a half years. We would come back for summer breaks. So, you know, I just grew up around a lot of culture. Mm -hmm. And if you if you live in the Bronx, it's like a little Accra for real, uh, because, you know, all your aunties and uncles see you in the streets. You know, you can't really get away from all Africans in yeah. the Bronx, you know? So it's kind of like a very interesting upbringing. And, and in hindsight, as an adult, I appreciate so much. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, there were so many things that were so good that I that I may have taken for granted that I now appreciate as an adult. That's beautiful. And I know you said, you know, your pops kind of took you back to the motherland so early on, which I think at the time was supposed to be a very short stay, but it turned into like a seven year long stay. Like even take us back to that moment. Like what were you embracing about the culture so early on? I hated it. I mean, I Oh, lie. really? Yeah. <laughs> they used to call us deportees. Really? Yeah, they was joking oh, wow. about us. My aunt used to see us. And it was like, oh, the deportees, like, you know, like basically, you know, making fun of us because, you know, it used to feel like a punishment when people sent you mm. back to Africa. Like, you know, we didn't want to go back, you know. So your parents would tell you, oh, you don't behave, so I'm going to send you back to Ghana. So a lot of us had this um, connotation of our head that that place was a place for punishment mm. as opposed to a place to kind of live. And, you know, when I got to Ghana is when I realized that people are living amazing here. Like, you mm. know, I had cousins that had mansions that had you know peaks you know maids that did everything for them they didn't really have to do much it was a very different type of life that we were living there compared to how we were living here and you know as a kid you just got to be able to understand the difference and uh you know but for me all I could think of was my parents were not around mm. I couldn't go to the corner store I couldn't have cereal in the morning like yeah. you know things such as a gallon of milk is something that we didn't, you know, at the time milk was probably two fifty. Mm. It's like seven dollars yeah, now, right? It's up. You know, but to us that that was a very big deal. You know, in Ghana, if you had certain type of milk in your house, that was a big deal because you mm. had to go to a special supermarket to get. Like, you know what I mean? So it just kinda gave us appreciation for everything that we had here that we didn't have there. Um, and, you know, it was just a different type of upbringing. And in hindsight, I love I love that I went through that because it kind of made me the man I am today. But during the time, I really hated it. I was, wow. like, you know, I, I was like, I couldn't wait for my pops to get us out of out of Ghana. Wow. Have you ever had a chance to like really thank them for for those experiences? Yeah, yeah. yeah. One time, I was just kind of overwhelmed with you know, with just gratitude for my pops and my parents in general for both of them because I never knew, I I never I never struggled. You know, for, for people who are like immigrants, they really built a pretty nice life for us. Mm -hmm. um, and we, we didn't grow up with so much, but we never felt we didn't have. Um, and I think that um, that's very, very important. So, yeah, I definitely thanked him a lot because he, t he taught me a whole lot about how to be a man. Look at that, man. Full circle moments. How mm -hmm. everything's just so connected. And I think that speaks to everything that you're currently doing now on the ground, right? Uh, do you feel like what you were learning, especially, you know, going back to Ghana and some of these upbringings that you were speaking about and just being so tied into the community birth Afrochella and the idea and the concept of it? Yeah, I mean, you know, Afrochella started out, the idea that came to become Afrochella started out, it was supposed to be a food festival, really. Mm -hmm. My parents, my dad has a restaurant here in, the York, in New York called yeah. the Crown Restaurant. I actually and, been there. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad. I hope yeah. you liked it. Too. Yeah, no, it's fire, bro. Yeah. So that restaurant's been around for 36 years. And um, it's been a very big pillar of the community. And when mm -hmm. he started, he started out 
he used to work as an attendant in the gas station, mm-hmm. and uh, he would cook his own food. His parents, his mom, know how to cook, and you know people just couldn't understand where he was getting that food from because. Mm-hmm. At the time, a lot of them didn't have their wives here, so a lot of the men did not know how to cook, so they were just used to eating American food. Mm. But he was giving them smells that reminded them of, of home. Home, yeah. So the smell of the food was very, very important, right? Um, yeah. Even till today, like how the food smells and how right. it attracts people. You know, it's just like when you walk by a McDonald's, you know those yeah. fries, you're gonna <laughs> smell those fries. Yes, sure. exactly. So it was kind of like that. And that, you know, allowed him to start opening up his business in, a, in his apartment. And he would serve people in this apartment. Wow. Pay for meals. And eventually he was able to open up a shop. So the first shop was really maintained for, like, the working class Africans in the community mm-hmm. who wanted to taste a home. And that allowed him to build a, co- a community around that. And, you know, he challenged me to kind of, like, bring more younger, a younger community into the into to the restaurant. At the time, I was doing African-inspired parties in New York, mm. uh, you know, for Ghana Independence or, you know, Afro-Caribbeans, yeah. those kind of things. And and he knew I was very interested in entertainment, so he was like, you know, you could do this. So I yeah. wanted to do a food festival. Yeah. And then I just started to, like, do my research. I started paying more attention to Africa because after my dad moved us back here, I just kind of, like was so happy to be away from Africa. I didn't, I didn't think Africa mm. for a very long time. So with this challenge, it kind of brought me back home to kind of think about it. And then I just started looking at trends and it just kind of felt like you couldn't do food without music. And yeah. you couldn't do music without some of the art in the background or without the fashion. And you know, each year I started to plan the food festival, it just kind of grew into something else. And then, you know, by the time I priced it, I was just kind of like, I can't do this in America. Yeah. You know, so I was looking for, so every year I'm like, well, I'm going to get better and I'm going to figure out mm-hmm. how to get partners. And I had to learn the sponsorship language and I had to learn, you know, how to build a business and things of that nature. And, you know, my partner was very confident, Kenny, um, that, you know, when I reached out to him and I told him, he said, you know, we could do this in Ghana. Mm-hmm. And I always loved this location that we had in Ghana. It was like a crop polo club. And whenever, you land in a cry in the airport, you could just see the field. Oh, wow. And I thought it just kind of felt like a piece of a crowd that was not in a crowd. Mm. And I always wanted to do something there. And I told him this way I wanted to have it. He had it booked in maybe a day. I think I spoke really? to him in the morning. By mid afternoon, the venue was booked. And we had like, I think, about seven and a half months to plan what would be to come the first Afrochella. That's beautiful, man. And when 2017 is when the first Afrochella like, really was. Set in stone, right? Yep, that was the first one. Uh, the first one was December 28th, 2017. But the planning for it started that uh, April mm. of 2017. So that seven month. Yeah, so I had the concept. I had, you know, actually um, met a friend who used to work for a different uh, festival. And his girlfriend happened to be the first publicist we ever worked with. Wow. And we wanted to bring her on as our first publicist. So she kind of helped us create a SWOT analysis just basically to look at the weaknesses, the strengths, the threats, the opportunities. She kind of allowed us to be able to organize our thoughts around the themes and the concepts. So that was the first. I still have that. Um, as a reference. That, you know, as a reference, because it kind of was the, the baseline for what would become what we built. Mm. And that allowed me to build out our deck. It allowed me to build out the concepts that we wanted to be able to see. And at first, we were just kind of like, we needed to put it in a concept we understood. We wanted it to be just a day party mm-hmm. festival where it had components of a festival, but it was a day party because I couldn't understand that we could all imagine or envision what a day party looked like. 
Uh, but we never had done a festival, so we had no idea mm. how to plan or shoot for a festival. Mm. So we had to break it down in a yeah. piece that we could understand. And we learned a lot of lessons that year, uh, and it also just kind of gave us all the confidence to go into the next year a lot bigger because yeah. we tripled the attendance from the first year to the second year. That's beautiful. Yeah, so and also we, the number of visas, too. Yeah. No, well, yes, it did jump in the second year, but it jumped even higher in the third year. Wow. Yeah, so I think it was like about 300% growth from year one to that's year crazy. two, and then and that went up 30% in year three. Um, and that's when we saw the biggest boom because it was the year of return, and that's where we saw the visas jump from annual about 200,000 people visiting Ghana to about a million people visiting wow. Ghana, which was which was crazy. Which that's an amazing job. thing. You know, um, I want to take one step back because 2017, I think, for all of us that are maybe tapping in today who are looking to build something, aren't entrepreneurs, I think it's very important for us to understand that you also were self-funding the first festival on the yeah, ground, yeah, right? Yeah, we're, so we're still self-funding. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, even yeah. to that point, because, you know, even, you know, when I think of myself as an entrepreneur, too, like, a lot of these projects, you got to get off the ground. You got to come, even sometimes tap into your savings and stuff. Yeah. You know, like, what were some of these early risks that you feel like you were taking that had the biggest reward? Yeah, the biggest risk that had the biggest reward was just kind of believing in ourselves. Mm. Um, when we started this concept and we tried to put it out, Twitter roasted us. <laughs> Ghana Twitter really? roasted. Yeah, they roasted us. They was like, well, who are these guys? Because we, we did a lot of bold things. Mm. One, we took out a billboard. And at the time, it had never been done to take out a billboard for a, like a party, day party festival. So it was a very big topic in Ghana. Like, who are these guys? Who the hell do they think they are to take out a billboard? Mm. Like, you know, what, what is this event? Um, you know what I mean? And... It was a lot of audacity mm. that we, we went into the event with. But because we had experience doing events, we knew that the shock value was going to help us in what, some some way, shape, or form. Um, and then just kind of putting up our own bread. Like, you know what I mean? When we started the first one, we had one partner, and that was Jameson. And it wasn't monetary. It was more like in kind. Mm. They gave us, they built the longest bar Give me product ever. They gave us product. So... It was really just kind of like we tried to get partners to, to partner with us to kind of do the event. But one, we didn't understand the language of partnerships. Mm. We didn't even understand that it was called partnerships. We just wow. looked at it as sponsorship, as in they should just give us money and we'll slap the logo on. Um, we just didn't really have a fundamental understanding of what to do. So that was a very big risk, um, you know, putting up our money in that first year. And I was, at, what was it, 2017? I was like seven years younger, um, yeah, yeah, just about no, about five years younger, just five to seven years yeah. younger when I when we put it together, and you know, at the time, like that was a big amount of money to me, yeah. like you know what I mean. That was a very big, big, very big deal. But in that year, we weren't really looking for a lot of people to fly in Ghana. Mm. We were trying to operate our festival with the people that already came into Ghana. I see. So uh, there were so many amazing people that are coming in from, from all parts of the world annually before Afrochella. Mm. Like December in Africa is a thing, whether you're in Ghana, in Kenya, Nigeria, South Africa, people go back. Uh, and, and some of the people that are doing the amazing things in whatever industry it is, it mm. could be in medicine, it could be in music, it could be art and fashion, they're flying in from Europe and all these places. 
and they do fly things. And December is a time where they could, you know, you could let your hair down, you know, spend all those money that you have and you brought from abroad. Yeah. When you exchange, your money just looks longer. You know, you can pop more <laughs> right. bottles. You can go out eating the finest places. Right. You can rock your drip. You can do whatever you want, and right. it's like a great time. And I just felt like there was too much power in the country for mm -hmm. us not to connect and build out an impact. And, you know, that's what we was able to do. And yeah, projected. I mean, yeah, I think at the time, right, it was 2,500 people that you were projecting. And I think you ever exceeded that. Yeah. You know, in that moment, what do you feel like? I think you were at like over 4,600 or something like yeah, that? Yeah, we was over 4,600 the like, first one. What do you think that kind of like told you about like the success of the brand? Like, you know, what, what do you think contributed to it? We had so many ideas that we weren't able to execute in that first year. And it just told us that, oh, we have a long way to go. And mm -hmm. then there was this, there's this one video. There are a few things from the first one that's just kind of like very impactful. Remember, the first year, we had one installation, really. And it was an installation by this artist called um, Okunta. He's a musical artist, and now he has a, a residency in Accra, actually. That's really beautiful. dope guy. Wow. Really dope guy. He actually did a collab with Kith recently. Oh, that's oh, dope. He's working on a collab with Kith, which is amazing. Um, but... It was around the time where Libya, you know, there was this whole conversation around like the Libya really doing modern day slavery mm -hmm. and that was what his installation was. We had so many ideas that we wanted to put in the festival, but that was one of the only things we could execute at the time. One, because of budget limitations, yeah. but also timing limitations and also relationship building. You still got to build a relationship with these talents that you want them to activate. And, you know... We didn't have much of that, and, and we were still able to get all of these people to fly in. And there was this one video of this girl that flew in from Europe for one day just to come to the festival. Wow. So when I, when I looked at all of that and just kind of seeing the reception of people, and we didn't have any major billing artists. Um, the highest artist that we had you know, at the time, the hottest artist we had at the time was a lady named Ebony. God mm -hmm. rest her soul, she passed. Mm -hmm. But, you know, and some of the guys that are popular now in Afrobeats, like King Promise, Quissy Arthur, Medical, these are some of the people that were on our lineup. But at the time, nobody knew them. Mm -hmm. And nobody knew who the hell we was. And we was just kind of trying to break into the market and make some noise. So for us to, like, be able to almost double our expected audience and, you know, we actually stopped selling tickets. Oh, wow. I stopped selling tickets and, you know, it became like a mini argument. It was probably our first <laughs> argument, a real argument as a team, because I'm like, look, I don't want to oversell. Like, you know, mm -hmm. let's stop selling tickets because we probably could have did more if we didn't stop selling tickets. I had to stop them from selling tickets because I wasn't sure. I didn't want the place to be overwhelming for people on the first one. But we did really well. And we knew that if we could go bigger, we'll be able to do more and probably we could, you know, use this leverage to be able to get more partners. At least that's what we thought. Right. You know. And the next year, we didn't get that many more partners. <laughs> we didn't get that many more partners the next year either. Wow, man. But, you know, and, and there's so much there to really unpack. And I think one of the things that you really talked about was team. You know, and I think just as as we continue to grow and evolve, like, it's very important. And I'm sure you you kind of are very intentional of who you have around and who you have a part of the team. Like, how do you go about, like, developing a team? And what are some of the areas or characteristics that you look for when, when looking to build one? Um, you know, there's a lot of ambiguity around the stuff that we do. Um, we need people that are just strong on their own, mm. like independent, have a very strong understanding of what we're doing. They're also passionate. Yeah. Like, you know, most people that 
tend to work for us like <laughs> the amazing Ashley yeah. is back here. Yeah, Ashley was not taking no for an answer. She was like, I'm gonna do this. And, and she just kinda <laughs> like why. showed us uh, by 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 working for us and then it was just kinda like, Oh, now we need her. Like, mm. you know, and she's now a invaluable asset we're not gonna let go. Yeah, <laughs> <That's beautiful>. <laughs> <laughs> right? But um I mean but, she made this know, happen though. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, so most of most of the team kind of happened to us that way because we didn't have any real knowledge about who we needed to hire. Mm. Like, I didn't come in knowing, well, I need a publicist, I need a crisis manager, I need a head of content, I need a social media person. I didn't know all of these roles that are associated with building a festival. I had no idea because I had never done it before. Mm. So a lot of it was on-the-go on the learning. Yeah. So, you know, obviously press reaches out, we're like, oh, well, we need somebody that's going to be able to guide us on how to actually talk to press, so we need a publicist. Mm. Or, you know, you talk to a partner, well, I need the specifications of the space. Oh, I need this kind of production manager. Mm. Um, or, I, I, you know, we want these kind of lightings. Oh, so we need this kind of light board. We need these kind of DJs. We need So, like, it just kind of, like, as we built the festival and we got deeper into the productions and the partners got bigger and the amount of attendees got bigger, it just kind of educated us on what we needed. And then as we got more comfortable in our footing of understanding what we were actually developing, it also just kind of said, well, these are now things that we would love to do. Mm -hmm. So if we would love to do that, who is the profession that could fill that role? And that's how we started to build our team. But most of the people that are on our team, we know them either through referral. You know, I really, I think I trust my team, yeah. you know? So if they recommend somebody, more than likely, I more than likely would, would work with them. That's hold them accountable for making sure that person <laughs> does the job. Yeah. Absolutely, that's the way, I mean, that's that's the way to do it, you know? But you gain all this momentum, right? You know, all these feedback, all this information, all this partnerships, or at least looking to get new partnerships, right? You know, from 2017 and on, like tell us a little bit more how just it evolved throughout the years. Yeah, I mean, for me, I, I always say this, like, the women in my life have done a lot of great things for me. I learned a lot about how to talk to partners from certain friends. I learned a lot about feedback on my deck from certain friends. You know, they were always willing to kind of connect me or educate me or help me understand the process. Um, and, you know, after a while, you know, I've, I used to use, like, a lot of people who may have sold sponsorship for other brands and, and try to hire them on it. But I realized I didn't understand the language myself. Mm. So I couldn't really ask them questions that was helpful to them or provide them information that was uh, helpful to them. So I needed to learn it myself. I needed to be able to pitch my business. I needed to be able to sell what I was selling mm. to the brands. And I, you know, I always felt like if I could get into a room with the interviewer and it's just them and I, I could sell them anything and I'm getting this job. And I, and I think pitching a partnership with brands was um, was something that I needed to learn how to speak and understand and, and knew what they wanted and what was important to them. Um, for us, we're selling Africa, right? We're selling Ghana, yeah. but we're selling Africa and we're selling the audience there. Uh, we're selling Africa to the audience and let the audience know, like, look, there's a renaissance happening in Africa. Africa has always been lit, but now you can experience mm -hmm. it. And these are the things that we're doing here so that you can experience it in a way that's familiar to you. Um, th that's one way. And to partners are saying, we know that people in Africa buy your products. And all of these people are coming from all over the world to mm -hmm. kind of enjoy this experience. You should travel with them and enjoy this experience with them. And, you know, 
I couldn't articulate that. Well, you just did a phenomenal job yeah. now, yeah. I couldn't articulate that in 2017, but mm -hmm. now because I understand, I could do that. Now we can be the usher for a brand that wants to establish itself on on um, on the African continent and show them what's possible as far as activations. You could do the activations just do in the U.S. Mm -hmm. There's an audience for it in, in Africa. Twitter was an example of that, right? Yeah. Before Twitter opened its office in Ghana, um, we did an activation, their first ever activation wow. in Africa at Afrochella, which was really exciting. Um, yeah. You know, we got a Twitter emoji and they actually brought a lot of Twitter people to Ghana. We did in real life tweets, so artists were holding on to tweets they may have tweeted or responded to tweets that other people had tweeted to them. So it was like a really dope engagement for the brand in Ghana and also just getting people who are not from Africa, who are not from Ghana, to come with their company and for people on the ground to be able to see in real life, that's a person that works at an app that I use. Mm. I can ask them something. They look like me. I can be that. Mm -hmm. I think those are all the things that we're trying to do with the brands because, yeah, people in Africa use all of these apps, yeah. but they don't have the luxury of calling customer right. service or, you know what I mean? Or knowing how to facilitate uh, or that. Or knowing how to facilitate yeah. that. And I think that you know, them getting the brands to activate in their country and seeing themselves and the people that work there was something I thought was important. Mm -hmm. Like, you know what I mean? Um, and, you know, ever since Twitter opened, you know, the Ghana office has been very, very impactful mm -hmm. for allowing Ghanaians to feel seen on the platform. Mm -hmm. And I think that more companies need to see that. Like, you know, like for instance, Nike dropped the Nigeria kit. Yeah. That was a very big deal. Like, you know, you had non-Nigerians rocking a Nigeria kit and sold a whole lot. You know, it's showing that the continent, there's spending power there. Yeah. There's people there that are willing to spend on things when they feel seen in them. I think those things are important. So working with our brands to allow the audience that live on the continent to feel seen in their brands or seen associating with their brands or some of the things that we're also able to do with the festival. It was things I had to learn had to learn in the process of building this festival. Absolutely, and we see the fruits of it now, right? And I think, you know, when you talk about all those things and you see some of these opportunities for the people back in the motherland, Ghana creating, you know, all these other opportunities and all this momentum by just having people come out there, like, how does that make you feel? No, I think it's the most fire thing ever. Um, it's fire because, one, you know, just seeing my friends that have no connection to the continent other than their skin color, mm -hmm. like, you know, and, and their ancestry. They don't have family there, they don't have, but seeing them happy and joyful in the country, as in seeing themselves in the people, yeah. seeing them feel connected to the people, seeing them feel connected to the country, that is awe-inspiring, mm -hmm. right? Because, I mean, I grew up African. You know, for me, it was just kind of like, you know, today's Monday, <laughs> tomorrow's Tuesday like you know it was natural to me whereas seeing them appreciate something that I may take for granted mm. on a daily basis was very very dope to me now in addition to that seeing companies that people use actually activating on the ground in Ghana was something I had never seen before mm. and didn't really exist and we had a great part of participating in that and in 2019 it says that we're responsible for about 16% of Ghana's tourism. Wow. That's a very big deal. Like, That's you know huge. what I mean? To say Afrochella, the festival, um, is responsible for 16% of the audience coming into the Do you take country. that in? Like, sometimes are you, like, really, like, I know sometimes it's like, because you always got to be on the move, but 
oftentimes you like really set back and just take all that in. Yeah, sometimes I'm like, I can't believe it. Like, you know what I mean? I think that when when you start this thing, you dream of things you can do. Mm. But when you're doing it, you don't necessarily understand or feel, at least I don't, how crazy it is. Yeah. But every now and again, it slaps you in the face and you're like, yo, that's crazy. <laughs> right. That's crazy. And, um, you know, when I read the deck back to myself, or I'm pitching it to somebody and I'm in the zone and I'm reading it, and I'm like, wow, we really did some things. Mm -hmm. We really did some things. And, and we really have. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's definitely exciting to see how much we've changed the landscape in Ghana specifically and what, you know, activations look like and how people look forward to going to Ghana, you know, annually. And it's also changed how people abroad feel about Ghana and and Africa in general, right. or visiting Africa, we've now made Africa, you know, we've opened it. There were so many companies that were, were doing tours to Africa before us, but now, like, it's a destination to mm -hmm. go to Ghana. It's a destination to try and go to Africa. And, and I love that for, you know, tourism on a continent. I love that for people here to be able to kind of dispel any type of, you know, preconceived notion that may have been sold to us in the past, whether it's through TV or through, yeah. you know, education, society in, general. You know, society in general, you know, we get to, you know, break those barriers. I love that, man. And thank you so much for sharing that, you know, and I, and I, in the last couple of questions here, I definitely want to guide a little bit more about kind of where, where you're headed, kind of looking future, you know, of Africa. I know it's happening, you know, you said 30 something days now and stuff, but like, what are some of these big milestone or manifestations that you still have for the brand that you still want to? come to fruition yeah I mean for us we really want to be able to be that storytelling company in Africa in different parts of what we feel is our communication factor so storytelling of food storytelling in art storytelling in fashion and storytelling in music I think we're doing a pretty good job in music you know with regards sure. to the storytelling we've been able to do. And last year we started activations around fast um, around fashion, which was really cool. We did a collaboration with Instagram for our fashion night out, highlighting and celebrating fashionable designs in, in, in Africa and around the continent. This year we're doing, uh, we're doing it on sustainable fashion and, 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 and building an ecosystem around it, celebrating some of the Gen Z fashion designers and things of that nature, which is really dope, and Afrofuturism. So I'm really excited about that, but you know, we're introducing this year, you know, talks around food and conversations around food and ingredients and and how African food is amazing. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? And I think that we don't, outside of jollof rice, which everybody <laughs> knows, right. a lot of people don't really know about you know, African food culture and why we eat certain things and, and how it impacts our music, how it impacts culture and, and all those things. We want to tell more of those stories. And then obviously the art, you know, yeah. you know, you have Ghanaian artists selling paintings for $1.6 million, mm -hmm. like, you know, and our people back home don't even appreciate it in the way that they do, mm -hmm. you know, but art is all around us, like in Ghana, you know, there's graffiti everywhere, yeah. you know, there's paint everywhere, but we need, I, you know, my our, our goal as a company is to really just kind of let people know, like, this is serious. Yeah. Like, you know, the running joke is, you know, if you're African, you can only become a doctor, lawyer, engineer, 
Yeah. You know, and, and we want to be able to dispel that and allow creativity to be, you know, a space that parents feel confident in their kids going into. We want the government to invest more in that. Right. And, you know, and we could just not do that only from Ghana's perspective. This year we was able to go to Cote d'Ivoire. Mm. We just did South Africa. And that was an amazing experience, bringing talent from Ghana and having them, you know, activate in South Africa. Wow. I know that may seem very usual for mm. us here in the U.S., We're, you know, going to Toronto or going to Mexico. Yeah. But, you know, intra-Africa travel is not something that's very usual in Africa. Sometimes you have to, to go to certain countries, you might have to leave the continent mm. in order to, to go, go to another, yeah. another African country. So being able to kind of get Africa to connect around entertainment is another goal of ours as well. Uh, just building that ecosystem right there on the continent, continue to make the continent as attractive as possible and build that bridge that allows people from the diaspora, it doesn't matter whether you're from the Caribbean diaspora or the European diaspora, the Asian diaspora, you know, American diaspora, you want to come back to the continent, right. you can come in, you could tap in with the festival, uh, you know, tap in with the other partners that we have and, you know, elevate as many partners as we can. Like, we just did a collaboration with Great Africa, which is a South African streetwear mm -hmm. brand. You know, I, I would love to see another brand out here. Yeah. So, oh, Afrochilla did something with them. I would love to connect with them. Let's let's right. see what's going on. Or we did something in Cote d'Ivoire with uh, Blas Sunday, which is a uh, a dope collective, a DJ collective that does francophone parties. Like, wow. I would love for parties to book them. You yeah. know, I want to book a francophone artist from South Africa, from Cote d'Ivoire to come to New York and do something or come to London and do something. That's our goal to be able to kind of build that directly right there on the continent. That's beautiful, man. You know, and looking back all of all the success and like the future success that, you know, you can or will continue to build. What are looking back at your five year old self who didn't want to go back to Ghana initially, right? What would you share with yourself? Honestly and truly, that's a great question. I never thought about that. I mean, I might have told myself what I tell myself all the time in hindsight. Just enjoy the process. I mean, you know, I think as a five-year-old, I might not have understood that because I just wanted to be with my mom and my dad. And You know, it's probably hard to go a year, two years without being able to see your mom every day and having to live with people who are your family, but they're strangers to you. Yeah. You know, you're getting to learn them as well. I think um, I always knew that I wanted, you know, I used to love carnivals. Like, I grew up in the Bronx, so there used to always be carnivals, and you could go get funnel cakes, you could play the games. I didn't like rides. I still don't okay. like rides. I don't get on rides. So no good with the heights. No yeah. good with the, I, no, I don't mind heights, because I don't mind, you know, but I just don't like rides. I just feel like, I don't need to pay to scare myself. Like, you know what I mean? I just, it doesn't make you. sense to me. So um, if, you know, but I did love the games. Like, you mm. know, I'll go, you know, you know, play the games at the, you know. Which sometimes so. they be rip-offs. They be rip-offs, yeah. but it's still fun. Like, OD it's still, fun. you know, yeah. and I could, I could make a basket or two. Um, you know, so I used to love those. So I used to always dream of throwing something reminiscent of a mm. carnival as young you know, I just loved carnival, so I always wanted to do something like that. And as an adult, I'm now seeing, like, you know, this the manifestation is what we've done with the festival. And the festival has a lot of ways to grow. Uh, we, we have a lot of opportunities. This year, we're venturing into edutainment. 
which I love. Mm -hmm. you, you know, we've expanded and taken concepts off the field and made them their own concepts. So last year we started, we built out a music museum. Um, this year with the music museum, we're exploring how the different parts of culture affects music. Mm -hmm. So in Africa, you know, you know, you know how people say the food is so good, you start dancing. Yeah. You know, you know how food affects has food has affected music or songs mm -hmm. that were made about music. You know how our clothes affected how we sing and you know how dance. the influences of yeah. different uh, dance has. You know yeah. in Ghana right now everybody loves Afro beats, but yeah. it started with a song called Azunto mm -hmm. in in in, in, um, in London, and it was one of the biggest tracks that has changed the way people listen to African music and you know exploring all of those things are some of the things we're going to do in the museum uh, but we have a lot of other cool things we're doing a dj battle to kind of give a dj a young rising dj the opportunity to perform at the festival we're doing a dj class for young kids you know teaching them the fundamentals of dj you know we're doing stuff around educating rising artists everything you need to know about the music business mm -hmm. and, and giving them a, a music marketing deal at the end wow. you know, with, a, with an actual label. So this year we cutting checks from yeah, the labels, that's you know, fire, cut, which is crazy because I thought about it today. You know, I was talking to Ash today and I was like, yo, we actually giving somebody a deal this year, mm -hmm. like, you know, and helping them produce a song, which is really dope. You know, we've always done production master classes where we teach young producers and pair them with established producers. Last year we had Grammy Award winning Guilty Beats, Grammy-nominated Jules. You know, they taught a master class in our partnership with YouTube. So that's on the music side. And um, this year we're, we're big on wellness. You know, one of the things that I, I know my team was stressed out this year. Like, mm. you know, we've been through a lot. We've worked them a lot. You know, we've expanded on our programming. We've expanded the programs, the festival to two days. And, mm. you know, we're going to be activating from December 18th all the way down to December twenty uh, to, to January second, so I know they're exhausted. They, you mm -hmm. know, so wellness is one of the things that we wanted to kind of build into our programming, just to kind of make sure that one we are paying attention yeah. to it and reminding ourselves, but also just kind of knowing that a lot of people have gone through so much this year. We wanted to include that component. You know, we're doing something in beauty, which is, you know, Afrochella has about sixty five percent audience that are women. You know, just yeah. kind of giving them something to interact around and 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 engage with. And there's so many powerful women that are going to be in town. It just makes sense for us to be able to have something around there. We're doing conversations around connecting people who are coming into opportunities on the ground. So yeah. we're having conversations around fintech, which is a big thing in Africa right now. You know, we have a, a few unicorns mm. in Nigeria. You have... Andela, you have Flutterwave, you have Paystack that are billion dollar, US billion dollar companies operating out of Africa. Wow. You know, so we want to talk about what the next frontier is for FinTech in Africa. We want to talk about agritech and agriculture. You wow. know, we want to give people who are coming the value of understanding how to integrate themselves and partner with local communities to build that ecosystem. So it's not just about coming in and partying and festivaling and bounce, but their educational components that you can take advantage of as well. And aside from, you know, other side events, and we have some really dope parties that are happening this year. Uh, there's a brand called Jerk and Jalof. Mm. Started out of Detroit. You know, we're doing a collaboration with them. Nice really excited. R&B House Party. 
yeah. which is one of the most popular parties in the U.S. right now. They're, sure. I think they're in Austin right now for yeah. Afrotech. Um, he's going to be there. Um, Everyday People is mm -hmm. going to be in Accra as well. Fire. And we're, we're supporting and working with them as well. You know, our annual PVO. We're doing yeah. a party with them for New Year's Eve. So we, we just have a lot of things going on. Yes. Like, you know, Accra is going to be action-packed, um, you know, this this year. And that's like the most anticipated event, you know, throughout the year where people want to book their flights to head out there to really kind of capture that experience, you know. So with that being said, I definitely want to just, you know, take this time. You know, we do this thing on the show where we give people their flowers. So I want to take this time, you know, to give you your flowers for all that you're currently doing on the ground, the behind the scenes that we honestly don't even see on the day to day, right? Appreciate but keeping you. the mission of the brand, the love of the people, the culture, the food, the fashion, the art, all of that at the forefront. So thank you. Just want to say that, man. Appreciate you, man. Appreciate you. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. And on the flip side, we always turn it to the guests. Like, who would you give your flowers to? Man, I have a lot of people to give uh, flowers to. Um, you know, one, I'll give my first flowers to my team. Like, shout out to them. Like, they, you know, I keep stressing this. I know how much work I give them. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I work a lot. So sometimes when you work a lot, you don't really understand how much pressure you put on other people. And I definitely recognize how much pressure I put on my team. Like, you know, I definitely demand a lot from them, and, I, and I'm very thankful for them. So I give them a lot of flowers, you know. Uh, the women on the team are excellent, they're killing it. Um, and then I'll give my flowers to, you know, my friends at all of these tech companies. You know, you know, the tech companies are going through a lot right now. Yeah. A lot of our good friends of mine that have done amazing work, have championed us and pushed us to be the best versions of ourselves and also supported and fight, advocated for us partner with us they've lost their their jobs and mm. lost their livelihoods and, and their lives have changed forever and I want to give them their flowers because the work that they did is going to last beyond their time at the companies that they work for but you know we really appreciate it and I'm always going to appreciate it if you uh, ever work for a brand and, and you supported what we're trying to build in in, in Ghana in Africa in general that means you have vision and that mm. means you're very thoughtful about the things that you do and uh, I'm always gonna very, 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 very much appreciate that. So I'll give them their flowers as well and, and wish them the best. Fire, bro. Thank you so much for sharing that. Absolutely. You know, and shout out to your team and, you know, the rest of the people you also mentioned. And we also have a last segment here on the show that we call this a hidden gem. So there's a variety of questions in here, right? So what I'm gonna do is just shake it up. You pull one question out and let's hear what comes off the cuff. Say less. Bet. After the sip. <laughs> okay. right. Wow. What's one thing you wish people knew about you more? Mm. I wish people knew I was shy. Really? Yeah. I really wish people knew I was shy. I think a lot of people don't know I'm shy. When I enter a room, I don't really talk to people like that. And it's not on purpose. Like, really? you know, I would definitely say hi to people, but say hi and, and I'll sit in the corner and I just probably won't say much until unless I know other people there mm -hmm. and we're, we're communicating well. Yeah, I do wish people knew I was shy. Very shy, actually. Where do you think fact. that stems from? You know, you know, it's it's funny. There's this uh there's this video going around. The culture, you're right, you know, African culture really 
raises you not to look people in the eye, mm. um, to respect your elders, don't talk back to your elders, take feedback that you've been given and just kind of like not um, challenge. It's very contradictory to American culture yeah. where, where we're posed to ask the question, you know, why, mm. why? In African culture, that could be seen as rude. Mm. So I grew, I grew up in both, right? So sometimes it's very conflicting. So it kind of made me a shy person. Um, you know, I had to be able to find my voice and, and feel confidence in my voice. And now, like, I'm not shy to speak in public or I'm not shy to represent myself when I need to, but around people, I definitely get cautious, so I call yeah. it shy, yeah. Well, it's interesting, because, I mean, man, you was flawless today, bro. Like, you said everything and more and stuff, so I just appreciate your presence. I appreciate your energy, you. bro, and, and thank you so much for being here. Appreciate you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate you guys. Absolutely, too. man. And then, doing what you guys are doing, yeah, man. Yeah, for sure, man. You're elevating and stuff, but, like, any last thoughts you want to say to the people watching today? Any pieces of advice, lessons, or anything Afrochella? that you want people to know about? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first of all, go out and check out Afrochella.com. Uh, follow our socials at Afrochella um, on all on all of the <laughs> apps, you know, whether it's LinkedIn, <laughs> Twitter, um, um, IG, um, TikTok. We, we're yeah. on everywhere. Please tap in. Um, you know, if you have an idea that you want to share with us or work with us on, please submit that to us. We're definitely trying to engage the entire diaspora, you know, and definitely visit Ghana and visit other parts of Africa and kind of, you know, allow yourself to kind of experience something outside of what you may have been indoctrinated to think about Africa. So I think that's what I, I would leave them with. And see you guys in December. Fire. My yeah. man. Absolutely. Well, there you have it, bro. Thank you so much again for being here, man. Much love to you and Afrochella team, and much success. Appreciate you. Absolutely. Well, there you have it. That was Off the Cuff with Abdul Kareem Abdullah.